everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name's Ben Jackson, and I'm back to host this episode. Joining me, as per usual, are Scott and Joris. Guys, how are you doing this evening? I'm very well, I'm very well indeed. Hello, everybody. And what do you know, our Ben has finally made it back from Ghent. Did you Did you get in the door about five minutes ago? <laughs> it feels like it, but that's just because of the bloody traffic on the way back from Brighton to Worthing. Um, <laughs> trying to eat and podcast at the same time is never a good idea, but tonight I'm going to multitask my way through this one. <laughs> traffic issues, uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows them, but Ben specifically has uh, has had his share uh, the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, but fantastic trip to uh, the old Belgium. Going to see Ghent against Vestalo, the uh, the two-all draw with Omri Gendelman scoring the last minute. Um, even my wife was like, that was actually quite fun. Uh, she also called the, the Ghent Stadium the best football stadium she's been to. Um, so that's just kind of dumping on the Medetsky and then... <laughs> <laughs> Merker Spiel Arena, as they call it, because they're the only other two. Um, oh, and Brighton as well. So Ghent ranked very highly uh, on her list of, of football stadiums that she's been to out of the couple. So, well, congratulations to Ghent on that one. Um, but that was that's old news. Let's dive into this weekend's actions. No Friday game because we had all the midweek matches as well. We'll touch them a little bit during this bit but we're kind of more going to focus on what's happened more recently because that's kind of more relevant to what we're going to kind of discuss um just kicking off on Saturday we had Molenbeek against Standard Age battle to avoid the kind of relegation uh, places at the moment that one finished two apiece Kortrijk they beat Charleroi that had a little bit of a resurgence one goal to nil Vestalo they lost three nil at home to OH Leuven Genk they also lost at home they lost one nil to Union uh, Antwerp left it incredibly late to beat Club Bruges 2-1 on Sunday. Urpen lost 1-0 at home to Mechelen. Anderlecht beat Ghent 1-0 in a very controversial game uh, in Brussels. And then Circle of Bruges handed St. Susan a 4-1 defeat to round off the weekend. But let's start in Brussels uh, at the Edmond Machtenstadion uh, for Molenbeek against Standard Liège. And uh, maybe if kind of... Uh, Lecco hadn't been brought in. This could have been a Hufkins kakap for kind of El Sakico, as they like to call it, because <laughs> these two teams are on a horrendous run of form. Uh, didn't go very well for Molenbeek early on. Kanga making it 1-0 to stand in the age. Awful, awful defending. He just seems to... There's just If you watch the kind of highlights of this one, it's just him against five defenders, and he somehow is the guy that runs for everyone and scores the goal. They did get back into it, Molenbeek, though. Cross from uh, Samba, which... Well, Sambu, sorry, which I have to say, fair play. I don't know how he got to the ball before it went out of play, but he did cross the back post. Um, Gay kind of misses it with his head, but Bion smashes it in. And just you felt like that was one of those moments where it was like, oh, they've missed him uh, when he put that one in the back of the net. Looked like Molenbeek had nicked it. 83rd minute, Eli Kamara with a nice little finish to make it 2-1. But literally two minutes later, Kelvin Yeboah comes off the bench for his first game for Standard Ace and he makes it 2-2. Point of peace for both sides. Keep Standard out of the relegation spots. Keep Molenbeek in those relegation playoff spots. But I guess, guys, not really a good point for either side. Yeah, well, this was a this was a game really about a tale of two sides who just can't can't win a game. You know, as as Ben was kind of alluding to there. Um, I think a draw was probably on the balance of play a, a fair result. Both sides will not be unjust um, to. You know, consider themselves a little bit unlucky um, 
But yeah, I mean, look, looking at Molenbeek, what winless, winless in seven now. Uh, they conceded eighteen in that time, so they really are conceding far too many goals. We know they don't score that many, so um, they, they're 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 not leaving themselves much wiggle room at the moment. Standard, on the other hand, uh, winless in ten, and I know that Arioris has got a a slightly staggering stat in relation to their their run uh, coming up that we're going to give you all at the moment because um, I was a bit floored with this one actually, um, kind of took me out of the blue, and I know their form hasn't been good. Leck was still winless in four um, and still cutting a slightly frustrated figure. I said when he came in, I felt he was maybe the, the right man at the wrong time. And, you know, when you've got <laughs> you've got a mix of the form that they're in at the moment with players who are being paid late, um, it's not it's not a, not a great motivating factor, even if you've got a coach who maybe fits the profile of the club a little bit better. Um, big games for both these sides kind of coming up. And, you know, standard, um, as, as Leck always said, this week really need to sort of you know pick some points up from somewhere really soon he said actually after this game he said look you know um, if you're not up for the fight then you know just stay at home because you know he realises I think now now that he's in there and he's he's starting to get a sense of these players that you know they're, they're kind of up against it really but the one saving grace for them is surely they'll be sitting there thinking our luck's got to turn at some point we're due two or three wins at a really key point of the season and we're not that far away from the playoffs now and they do not want to be in that drop zone when that time comes. Yeah, but it's not looking great, and I think they actually will take this point in the end because they es- they really escaped here with that late goal. Uh, they're still only one point ahead of the relegation zone. Uh, yeah, Scott already mentioned still winless under Leko. That's uh, two points out of a possible 12 now. And, uh, well, the stat he was uh, talking about uh, was setting me up for was... Uh, it's their longest non-winning streak since 1954, um, which is, uh, well, uh, as you can imagine, 70 years. So that, that's that's not great. Uh, there, there's, uh, yeah, that, that, that's really staggering indeed. Uh, and yeah, so like I said, they, I think they will be happy more or less with this point in the end uh, since... I, I can't call it differently than a fluke uh, goal that uh, Yeboah scored on his first touch in, in Belgian football uh, here. So uh, yeah, uh, it was a defle- well a shot from from Davala that would would have gone wide anyway, and he somehow gets his knee against it. Um, it's also uh, I guess a, it's a good striker reflex, I guess though putting his leg out somehow. But um yeah, I he had no idea where it was going anyway. I don't think there was much intentions in there. And um yeah that that hampered uh Molenbeek's uh hopes of course of winning that game um which they maybe deserved actually or uh, overall uh and they well it is they, they will also be moderately happy that they finally got a point because it uh yeah uh, they they uh, it's their first point after five losses in a row, but yeah, if you come so close to a win and you're still in the relegation zone and you would not not have been anymore or uh, at least had a, in a be-, be in a better position for it, um, yeah, to get out of it, yeah, you can't really be completely happy. But uh, yeah, Ben mentioned it already. Biron being back is could be uh, and not being sold as well um, could be. Okay, still have to see how that goes because some markets are still open, but most likely it looks like at least he's not moving inside Belgium. Uh, there were some rumors that Gent were interested in him that uh, that didn't materialize. Um, yeah, but he got two goals in two games now. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I guess you could say like, yeah, 
go watch that one back because it's really a good strike, one of the best strikes uh, of this weekend. Um, the, that that equalized at the time, um, but yeah, all in all, yeah, nobody really happy with this. Nobody really unhappy. I guess. Well, I guess both teams unhappy is more the the, the way to go uh, here. But um, yeah, uh, it is what it is, and yeah, both teams definitely still have a lot of things to to worry about. Yeah, they definitely do, and I don't want to kind of worry standard fans more. And I kind of hope this this proves to be wrong, but. Um, Kelvin Yeboah, in his last three clubs that he's played for, he has scored one goal for each of those teams. <laughs> he's scored one goal for Standard. Is I this see the where only you're going. goal? <laughs> Will this be the only goal? I hope for their sake they get the Sturm Glads Kelvin Yeboah that scored about, I think he's got like 20 and 45. Uh, but yeah, Genoa 1 and 31. Augsburg 1 and 13. Montpellier, who is just playing for before he joined Standard, 1 and 15. Um. So yeah, <laughs> that could be it. This could be the only goal he scores. It could be a crucial point at the end of the season. No one's going to really care. But he was an interesting pickup, and I think yeah, it's interesting, Scott. You said about Leco saying he's up for the fight and stuff like that. And it's probably quite easy then to look at the squad and be like, oh, there's so many lone players. Maybe it's them that aren't up for the fight. But in most of the cases, they're actually kind of contributing quite a bit. These guys on loan. So it's kind of it, it's the collective at the moment. Um. Molenbeek, yeah, I think, yeah, I think both these teams, to be fair, losers this weekend um, because of everything that happened. A couple of teams we can throw into that category. One of those has to be Charleroi. They are one hundred percent a weekend loser um, for me. They go to Courtlike, and I saw like a review of this game where they were like, "Oh, well, to be fair, Courtlike are picking up quite a few points, so you can't really blame them for losing this game." Blah blah blah, and it's like. Yes, Kortaik have improved, but they have to win this game. Like this is one of those games that you have to win if you want to stay up. You've, it doesn't matter that Kortaik are on a like kind of good run at the moment. They're bottom of the league. You've got to you've got to put in a performance, and they just didn't. It's Charleroi. Uh, it's Kortaik. Sorry, who come out with the win? Isaac Davies, uh, now top scorer for the club. He gets the all important goal in the forty fifth minute with an assist from Cadley. It's just yeah, more and more frustration for Charleroi. He's spoken about them in the past, kind of talk about them like, like sleepwalking into these relegation zones. They won during the week against Erpen, so you've thought that oh, maybe this is going to be kind of a turnaround moment where they do come back. But even in that game, Erpen had like a ridiculous amount of chances. They had this ridiculous good chance at the end of the game. Uh, I can't remember who it was who just absolutely blazed it into the whatever's, I don't know what behind the stadium, but whatever's behind the <laughs> stadium, I'm presuming some sort of industrial estate judging by what people say about Charlotte as a, as a place to go. So I'm presuming that's where the ball ends up and it's probably just stayed there. And it, it could have been the parking forever. spot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably next to an industrial estate. There's, I'm sure there's, it's, it's ended up somewhere that no one's going to get it. Um, but yeah, Kortzweig win 1-0. It's just, for them, a fantastic run of form that they're on. Obviously, during the week, uh, they had that uh, kind of ridiculous 3-3 draw with, with Club Bruges, but that's what clean sheets in their four, three games. Uh, so four games they played under Flair Alexanderson, three clean sheets, a three-year draw with Club Bruce that they snatched late on. It's just for like, what? Should have got this guy in earlier. This guy, mm-hmm. he's, he's really making things happen. And so another big win for them. They are catching up to those teams in kind of second, third, bottom, which is probably what they're looking at, that third bottom spot. If they can make their way into that kind of player spot, with this momentum, I think, guys, they've, they've got a massive chance of staying up the way they're playing. 
Well, we've kind of been hinting heavily for a few weeks now since since Alexanderson came in that we were immediately kind of collectively kind of quite impressed by him, I think, on a number of levels. Certainly looking at things from the outside, there were some really positive signs. Um, undefeated, as Ben was saying, and, and I think he's probably due a kind of proper rave in um, now. I'm kind of convinced that that's a really good appointment now, even even this early. Um, some really positive things um, going on there. Eight out of 12 points, as Ben was saying, um, in those first four games. But to put that in its wider context, if you look at the rest of the season up to that point, Cortrack had picked up 10 out of a possible 60 points up to this point. So, you know, he's almost gathered as much points as the, the whole of this, the season um, already, which is absolutely wild if you think about it. Um, he's been very decisive and very positive, I think, in, in, in his choices of go- going in there early. Um, I think, crucially, as I was saying to Joris last week, he's actually getting more out of the players that are there and he's moved out some of the players he doesn't fancy. So he hasn't come in here and went, I'm going to take a bit of time and assess this squad and move out who I want. I think he was very clear from the moment he went in there, you know, who he didn't fancy. He's obviously been watching games and... Um, looked at some data, uh, spoke to some staff and already made some really concrete decisions. He's moved out a few. Um, more faces have come in than I expected as well, which is good. He's been proactive there. Um, we are yet to see uh, Norwegian midfielder Ivor Fossum, who probably will feature this weekend. He's in, he's training, he's ready. Uh, Kings Kangwa, the, the Zambian midfielder, I don't think his paperwork's ready. So unless somebody... Um, gets a threatening phone call in the next couple of days um, and told to um, uh, get the red pen out, then um, we might not see him this weekend. But yeah, lots of reasons to be optimistic for Kurtrike. And actually, as Ben was saying, when you look at the points now and the turnaround there in the last three weeks and the way results have gone for other sides, I never thought I would say that they've actually got a real chance now. I thought they were... I thought they were buried weeks ago, absolutely weeks ago, and underlines what Ben was saying about not only getting them in earlier, but see if you get the right man, if you get the right guy in, um, it just shows you what could happen at any club. And I'm not saying they're going to stay up yet by any means. I'm not predicting that, but I'm looking at it now going, if I was them, I would fancy their chances. Um, they've got some interesting games coming up as well. They've got St. Truden away, uh, Union at home, Mecklen away, and Molenbeek at home. So, um, winnable games in the next three or four there, possibly with the exception of the Union game. That's the toughest one by quite some distance. Uh, they will fancy some more points there, I think. Um, and things things are really looking up for them. And if the objective is to make you know, the relegation playoff spot and stay up that way, then they're certainly well on course for that. But, you know, they've got every chance of of, of squeaking beyond that as well because Charleroi, who obviously, as Ben was saying, they beat and kind of deserve to beat purely through their attacking intent this weekend. Lots of worrying signs there. You know, we've been saying for ages, Mazu's just not getting enough out of that squad. Uh, Odidaba's back, top scorer with only four goals. That's a small positive, but there's other negatives in there again. Uh, Adam Zorgan and Mbenza are out. Not sure how long for, but they're going to miss them possibly for one or two weeks. Both important players, even if they're not at their their best at the moment. And they're just really struggling to score goals. You, You just don't see where the points are coming from at the moment. Yeah, indeed. Well, not much to say about them anymore. Like we've said so many and so little as well. I guess we didn't really zoom in too much on them yet either. But yeah, like Benny's saying, 
really sleepwalking in, into the relegation zone like this and yeah get out of this slump i've i personally also don't really see it um yeah fans are unhappy obviously uh, also they, they they really need to pick up some points away from home the, they still have no away wins only three points uh out of the what well, what it will it be 11 or 12 away games uh normally now so that's that's yeah it's just with these numbers you really need to be really really good at home they're not too bad at home to be honest uh in points at least in uh, what i gather but yeah the nonetheless uh yeah, they, they really need to get something together away from home uh, specifically. Um, yeah, and they had crawled out of the relegation zone then in the midweek game against Urpeden, but yeah, immediately they're, they're back into it. Um, so yeah, like, it, it, yeah, it, it, I don't really see it going well either. Yeah, and on Kortrijk, um, especially... Good that they still have a fighting chance. The given the results, like actually, like Charleroi won indeed last week somehow. Uh, um, a game in between, uh, Open themselves have won some games in between, although they're now also a little bit more in the slump. But we'll touch on that later. Again, um, Leuven is in a great form uh, as well. Um, yeah, just um, the teams around them actually are, or right above them, are uh, in their case, are actually picking up points as well. But nonetheless, they are getting closer and closer, and they really do have that uh, that fighting chance. So, yeah, impressive work. Um, yeah, first win against Charleroi in 10 games uh, in this head-to-head uh, fixtures for, for Kortrijk as well. So it's another, well... Um, good stat- statistic for them as well, specifically if they want, especially if they they might encounter them once again uh, later on in the season in these playoffs. Um, if those th- both these sides would be in there, of course, which is not a given, but um, yeah, it, it's not completely unrealistic that that would be the case. Yeah, it's looking more and more likely by the by the week, isn't it? And you, kind of, you, you mentioned the always kind of those teams above them are picking up points, but that's then just pulling Charleroi and Volenbeek closer and closer and closer to them at the same time. And yeah, I think Scott, you made such a kind of good point about they can't score. And then you, you, the transfers they made: Jeremy Petlis, right back; Achraf Dali, centre back; Etienne Kamala, central midfielder. Um, he's never, from what I can see, scored a professional goal. So <laughs> <laughs> you're like. Yeah, Ode de Vaz back and he's been okay. Like, let's not get like mm. too carried away. Like, he's he's been fine. But it's kind of, in the past, I think we look at them in the past, you kind of obviously, they've always had this kind of very imposing physical striker like Shamar Nicholson, Bayo. Mm. Um, I can't remember some of the people they've had before that. But even like Victor Osser, back to like Osserman and people like that, they've had these mm. like physically imposing strikers. But they've also had wingers that would chip in with goals like Mamadou Fowl and play, players like that and no one is doing that like you'd look at someone like a Dan Heyman's or a Morioka Morioka more to kind of create Ben Heyman's maybe to chip in with a couple of goals like he can do and he has chipped in with a couple of assists but it's kind of and, and he kind of guy. he has been unlucky as well Heyman's he, he... Probably could have got on the goal. Well, he could have been their top scorer at this moment, but that he, he's hit a bar a lot of times. This, he in, always this hits the bar in the post, doesn't <laughs> yes. he? Like, if you go on the football map and you check kind of like stats for the game, if you press on Hammonds, it's has hit the post the most times in this game or something like that. Like, <laughs> I, I think Mazzy's realised that he's playing him more. Like, he's sticking him back in the yeah. side. But yeah, and then you mentioned 
uh, Kings Kangwa. Mm. It's just nice to have a Zambian back in the uh, in the uh, in the Pro League. It's mm. been very very good for Zambian footballers over the over the years, and it's nice to have another one back in there. So kudos, and hopefully he can kind of have a nice impact because on his day, yeah, he's a pretty decent player um, to say the least. Another winner from this weekend was definitely 08 Leuven. Probably winners of the week, to be fair, with their, the two results they got. They got that kind of win against Genk during the midweek and then they followed that up and just... They kind of wrestled wrestled. Uh Wrestle obviously against Circle of Booze the other day, just absolutely battered into kind of a commanding lead and held on. And Leuven just did the same to them. Banzuzi from a corner in the second minute. Florian Miguel... Um, didn't know he had that in his locker. Lovely finish at the back post. Bjorn-esque, I guess you could say. And then I think it was in the second half, Tur Romans with assist of the season with one of the, the worst back passes you'll probably have seen this year. <laughs> Matty Mertens, fantastic to see him kind of back amongst the goals. He's just been really, really struggling. I think they've really, really missed him at like fully fit. He's just, he's kind of been in and around the squad coming off the bench, but he's not really been fully fit. And he's saying he's starting to feel better again. And that could be a massive, massive like return to form for them to get him. So they're putting on a little bit of a run. They jump into 20, uh, onto 12th place with 24 points. Um, they move with Charlotte out of the relegation zone. Wrestler kind of halts their little run a little bit, kind of like a reality check. They had a lot of the ball, but just couldn't find the back of the net in this one. But not too concerning, I guess you could say. It might be just one of those games for them. They've they've looked really decent in recent weeks, and they've been quite fun to watch. Um, I have to say, just kind of touching on them, when I went to that Ghent uh, Vesla game, I was like really really impressed with some of the intricate play they were doing. But mm. Mant as well. But Mant just it seems like he'd only recently just signed. He just slotted into that system so well. And you could tell like Rick Demille knows how to use Romeo of a man. He knew the kind of like the linkages and the stuff to do with him and like Griffin Yao and a couple of the other guys. So really, really enjoyable watching them play. Um, so yeah, I'm not too worried about them after this defeat. I think they look like they've turned the corner and they look like they should, with the momentum and the players and the way they're playing, they should pick up enough points to stay up. But for Leuven, massive, massive win, kind of back-to-back wins. I don't know if one of you has a stat, but I can't imagine that's happened for a very long time. I'm sure Yoris loves some stats for us in a second, but, you know, living are alive, everybody. Um, I think Oscar Garcia actually was making the point last week, um, after after the win uh, last week, he was saying that um, he felt that they deserve more from a lot of their recent games since he's come in and that they've been a bit unlucky, which maybe maybe there is something in. So I think he feels that they're kind of starting to turn a corner now and maybe get their just rewards. This, I think, is a pretty impressive result because, you know, as Ben was saying, Westerlo have been improving, you know, a fair bit since DeMille came in. That's only their second defeat in eight now. Um and yeah, they're, they're, they're improving fairly steadily. So th- this is a really solid result for them. Um, Leuven scoring, what, you know, five goals over the last two games as well. So they're, they, they've found their kind of scoring boots again and, and a kind of blend that seems to be working for them. And I didn't really see this result coming. I think this is one of the most impressive results of the weekend. Um, and things, you know, it's added to the intrigue down at the bottom. There was a lot of sides there that, you know, before the winter break were just struggling abominably. Do you know what I mean? You couldn't see where where, you know, anything positive was coming from. And the window was very quiet 
for Leuven. You know, I, I didn't think that you know they they'd done enough necessarily to, to to change anything significant at all. But much like her try, they'll be looking at things much more positively now, and kind of rightly so. They've got interestingly. When I was having a look at this today, Leuven have got a, a pretty much what I would call a season-defining month ahead of them. Really, they've got Standard away, Charlotte at home, and Molenbeek away. A good points haul there changes the season for them, you know, and could very well see them out of the drop zone completely, um, you know, if they do well there and other other results go go, go in their favour. So that's, a you know, an upturn in form for them, a, a really, really important point. I'll tell you more. Uh, if you only take the last five games, uh, Leuven would be first uh, in the rankings. So they got 11 out of, uh, fifth, out of the possible 15 points. Uh, to come back specifically to two wins in a row, that that that's something from last season. Though, but the back end of mm. last season that mm. happens. Uh, I don't know exactly if it was a last game day or maybe slightly before that. But uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, in the last game days of last season, uh, that happened. My in last weeks, yeah, um, Westerlo. Well, midweek win against Circle, but this time they were leaking in defense. Um, yeah, and and Romans had a. Topsy turvy week, even inside, like he was really uh, good against Circle with two, two assists. But on the other hand, he also got sent off in the in the second half already. So that that's where his uh, fortunes turned already. And yeah, in in this game against uh, Leuven, yeah, it was not his day for sure. Um, but yeah, to, to touch on the position a bit more as well, Westerlo had seventy four percent of possession. Uh, massive amount, seven shots on target as well, 14 corners, but zero outputs. So yeah, you, that that's what all, another thing that lacked in combination with that giving away goals in the end. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, Leuven indeed, like you mentioned, best for actually the best informed team at the moment, uh, and quietly getting a place in the peloton, still at the back end of the peloton now, but um, yeah, still. Yeah, they, they 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 also gave them themselves a good fighting chance here. Um, yeah, Lazen I guess again deserves a mention. Uh, it's becoming a weekly thing. Um, it's not that he's brilliant throughout the whole game. He still has some icky moments sometimes, but um, yeah, that he had a lot of good saves again. And another thing that's well, Martes uh, Ben already touched on him, but he also scored with his first touch. Uh, of course, this time not uh, of of. In, in the in Belgium, but uh, oh, well, in the first it's in this game after coming on as a sub, so uh, it looks like it was a little bit of a team this week uh, that that happened. But um, yeah, the, good for him to see him back on the scoring sheet as well. Um, definitely. That's why we call him the stat man, everybody, are Yoris, because if I don't have the stat to hand, I know he does. <laughs> <laughs> All that research that we do to get into this podcast. Now, that's key fair for them and. It still didn't stop them having a bizarre moment at the end of the transfer window where suddenly that rumour broke that they were trying to swap the striker that they signed in the summer, like the one guy that was going to be the guy to score goals. And they were already trying to ditch him in January for Benjamin Tete, who's barely scored any goals in the last couple of years. I just saw that and I was like, what? <laughs> if this couldn't be any more Lerven. And it was going, <laughs> it's just like, I'm... I, if there's someone from the scouting department listening, I'd love to kind of hear if you actually get listened to by the, the hierarchy in this place because I can't imagine that 
yeah, <laughs> the targets that they're going for aren't are actually some of these guys, and they're not actually trying to get players that we from the outside look and think they clearly need a player in this position. And yeah, by January, most of the time they've sold the guy that they bought in the summer. Um, speaking of strikers that are pretty decent and they're pretty good, Mohamed Amora uh, for Union Centre Loire, he was the deciding factor in the game against Genk. Lovely header from a set piece. Cameron Pertes, boss, he heads it in. Gustav Nielsen's still there. There was kind of rumours that he would leave and go to Ghent, although. I think someone wrote in Het Newsblad, like, why would he leave a title-chasing side on the brink of, like, they could win a title for the first time in ages, and he's a key component of that at the moment. Why would he leave that and go play for Ghent? Just, like, this doesn't make any sense. And clearly it didn't because he's still there. Um, but he was the guy Hein wanted, and apparently. Um, which you can kind of see, can't you? You look at him and you're like, yeah, that, that looks like a Hein guy. Like, I'm sure Hein would love a bit of, of Nielsen up front, but alas, he is still at Union. He's not at Ghent. A good win for Union. More frustration for Genk. Really frustrating week for them. Yours, you don't have to talk about the Leuven game, but you can just focus on this one if you want. But <laughs> it's like there's no momentum or anything going on in the club or on the, with the squad at the moment. Yep, uh, that's definitely true. Uh, yeah, no wins uh, in 2024 yet. Uh, only two points out of possible 12. There looked to be a slight momentum building uh, at the end of last uh, of, of last year, um, around the Christmas period. Even with that well, an uh, underlegged game where they uh, let's say they didn't get the points at least, or the, the, the controversial game there, but they still played quite. Uh, the, the level was quite good. Then and afterwards they beat Antwerp convincingly as well. So it looked like finally that they were on track and going, but. Somehow it all evaporated so quickly. Yeah, uh, that 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 momentum has been broken really, really, really quickly. Uh, yeah, disappointing transfer window as well. Um, I suppose some injuries now. As it's uh, it's not an excuse, but like yeah, some vital points because like in this momentum building, Sor and Fadera uh, look to be like Sor in as a striker. If Adera then on the left wing and and um, yeah Pencil on the right wing, uh, all three have of course been absent for the several reasons um, in in the last a couple of weeks as well. But uh, not a not necessarily a big fan of any of them individually, but all combined, um, you know, they're just so pacey and like, no defense can rest, and that seemed to have been the the key maybe for for Franke to to at least build a little bit of momentum and then maybe try to see what, what he can still tweak on this. But um, yeah, due to certain circumstances, um, uh, things have not panned out like that. And also not with different players in their positions. Um, Sorna also seems to be out. Fadira is definitely out until the playoffs, even if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, that, that left wing position, despite the amount of players that can play on, on the wings for Hink seems to be a bit of an issue. Bonsuba is not convincing there, at least, um, but it's a bit... I guess you get, could say like he, you should be able to play at both wings, but equally, or not necessarily equally, but at least to a certain amount. But on the right wing, he, he can provide sometimes uh, some things, but on the left wing, it just doesn't work out uh, so far. He doesn't have that in his game at the moment. Uh, of course, he's still very young, so he might develop that. Uh, hopefully he will, but I uh, can't really blame him for that, but yeah, things not going well. Um, 
despite everything, this was their first home loss in ten in ten uh, home games now as well. But the unfortunate thing is, of course, most of these other games were also draws. So it's not that they got a huge points haul at home, but uh, yeah, that that streak has been broken nonetheless as well. And in, before that, there was a really bad streak at home, uh, as you might remember uh, across all competitions. Um, yeah, and on. on Union or on the game, yeah, well, I guess set pieces were actually terrible from both sides throughout the whole game, except that one, of course, uh, that ultimately decided it. Um, yeah, uh, and it's it's a bit ironic, I find it, that, that that's in the end what, what decides it, because like, I was, Union already had a few chances from uh, set pieces from dangerous areas, much like this one, so a bit more... Uh, yeah, not too far outside of the box uh, and on the on from the wing. So actually, ideally to to curl the ball uh, towards the yeah the goal mouth and towards the players in the direction there. It led nowhere, uh, but also against corners like they had plenty of corners throughout this game. I don't know how many exactly. I didn't look that up specifically either now, but yeah, they they, they just most of them were just headed away before the first uh, post already. So. Yeah, it, it it was really just not good. Um, Union, yeah, well, I guess this game was... It was not their greatest game either. It was not... It was a bit of a disappointing game in general, uh, I think you can say, from both sides. But Union were, um, yeah, in control for a large part of the game. Um, so I guess they, they also... Once they scored, it was also... Not likely that they would concede, even though Hink did create a few chances really late on. Um, but that was more, yeah, a bit, a bit of hope as well. Uh, it also feels a bit like Franken is indeed also still, well, again, maybe now uh, searching for, for the right solution uh, and not finding it at the moment. Um, yeah, but not to take away. I'm, I'm talking, I'm going back to Hink here, I will go to Uno more. Um, yeah, the because they, they, I guess they deserve it nonetheless. Uh, they, they they won this one, uh, eighteen games unbeaten now. That's uh, yeah, a very remarkable streak. That doesn't happen so often. Um, yeah, and they'll again results going their way as well, like uh, running away further and further. It could have been even more, but we'll talk about that later on in in this episode probably. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, professionally won this one, I guess. And it's a bit disappointing to see that the the the, the bit of a bit of lackluster in game from Hank as well. Yeah, yeah, Joris is right. I think this game was on the whole pretty disappointing. Um, I think most of us were expecting a rather good game here. You know, two sides who play really good football, um, and you know, recent fixtures between these sides over the last couple of years have generally been really good, high quality games as well. This unfortunately wasn't one of them. Union managing to get the points um, when they themselves were pretty below par by their standards but we know the mark of any good side in any league is you know getting over the line when you're not at your best and this is a an element of Union's game which they've they've probably added I mean they've been so remarkably consistent we talk about this a lot and this is just another example of that you know I mean nowhere near the levels we know they can be at 
and they, they, they still get the points. They're 10 points kind of clear now. And if they can maintain that, we're a wee while, not that far away, what, eight weeks away, uh, eight match days away from, from the playoffs starting. Um, if they can maintain that lead going into the playoffs, it's going to be exceptionally hard to overturn that lead, I think, um, for, for, for anybody, particularly when you bear in mind that at the moment, probably the main challenger, Anderlecht, are still arguably outperforming slightly, um, as we've been alluding to recently as well and, and kind of touched upon. So to me, it's just, you know, they, they are the streets ahead of everybody, really. And Mohamed Amura is just absolutely relentless, much like that side is. Um, 16 and 18 with, with two assists now. He had a, a massively disappointing uh, AFCON, which probably is to Union's benefit ultimately. Um, but yeah, they just, um, you, you know, you wouldn't bet against them against anybody now. And they've been the team to catch for a long time, but I just don't see at the moment um, anyone anyone catching them. Having said that, the one caveat in this that no one's mentioned yet is they've not really had a a kind of slippery period of form yet all season and all sides have it at some point. So the question is going to be when that comes. What they don't want is what we've seen in recent years, obviously, is that coming during the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. What they'll hope is that this performance is one of those of the the slips and they still just managed to win. But we've also got to remember that they are still competing on three fronts and that's not easy and it's not going to be easy. Like, They've got the cup game um, against Club Bruges coming up this week, and that's a two-legged affair. Then they've got Eintracht Frankfurt, that's a two-legged affair. And if there's one thing we know about Union is they're not going to put out a cup side in any of those because we know that the mindset they seem to have is that, well, we're in them, we're going to try and win them. That's just kind of how they go about their, their business. So we know that the, the best players are going to play in each of those games. It's just going to be like, can they keep it up? Can they keep the momentum? And I think... Yeah, it'd be really, really interesting to see. And it'd be kind of cool when it like Blessing goes from that East End side that was so fun and exciting to watch that missed out uh, on the playoffs in the end or missed out on playoff one, wasn't it, back then and how gutting that was. And then that's kind of the end of East End as we kind of knew it under him. And now this is kind of his chance. It's like, well, he's not going to miss out this time and he's getting to play, do all this European stuff. It's like a full kind of full circle moment for him, which is lovely to see. Um, but yeah, they definitely... They definitely are kind of streets ahead of everyone at the moment, and just winning games like this. And Amura, yeah, like I think someone's the stat the other day was he scored more goals than games started in the Pro League this season. Um, <laughs> just a little bit, a little bit ridiculous. Um, let's move on to the Sunday games. One man who obviously loves a goal from the bench was George Elenekina, uh, but he's starting in this game with Antwerp hosting Club Bruges. All the action in the second half. Club Bruges take the lead through Maxim de Kuiper. Initial shot is saved by Jean Boutet. He spills it out to De Kuiper, who then tucks it in. Unfortunately, De Kuiper went off with a pretty bad-looking injury uh, in this one. Uh, we wish him a speedy recovery because it's been quite nice to see him just slot straight back into this kind of club regime after how good he was at Westerlo and kind of make that kind of in, kind of first starting spot his own. So, yeah, we do wish him all the best. There's another youngster, though, that got Antwerp back level, um, Corbain. Uh, Kobe Cobain coming off the bench and absolutely leathering the ball <laughs> into the back of the net. Ridiculously good goal from him. That was in the 86th, 87th minute. 90 plus with deep into at a time when Antwerp get a free kick. Jakob Andrejka steps up and 
I'm not going to say he smashes it in. He places it into the corner and Mignolet doesn't save it. Um, and the look on Mignolet's <laughs> face was, I should have saved this. I know I should have mm. saved this. Finishes 2-1, but before then, Hans Van Aken gets sent off. And I saw a lot, because obviously after this game, it's that club boost. They drew 3-0 with Kortzweig at home, and then they lost this one to Antwerp. And all the kind of talk in the press before those two games has been about how good they've looked and this and that, and how great Dial has been. And now suddenly it's like, yeah, old kind of chinks in the armour, Dyla's not as good, like he doesn't really know what he's doing most of the time, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you can't have it one of the other way. Like, you either think they're great or you don't. Like, you just can't just suddenly start changing your tune so quickly on a team that has been on a ridiculously good run of form and they're going to slip up at times. So I find that just a bit like, oh, come on, like, we're just hashing out the same old, same old when this guy's just taken them on a ridiculously good run and they've got some momentum going into this. They've just lost to the defending champions and it was just at the end of the game. It just happens as it happens and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, big, big win for Antwerp, though, this one. It kind of puts them level on points with Club Bruges, solidifies their position a little bit more in that playoff one place because we have to remember, guys, they were kind of looking like they might not actually make it. They kind of were slipping up a little bit and they're putting a little bit of momentum behind them, um, even without Arthur and Mimirin. Um So that's two wins in a row for them. So maybe it's the start of something, who knows? Football's mad, isn't it, guys? I mean, you know, I, I still don't really understand how club managed to throw this game away. They were generally the better side for, well, mo- yeah, more than three quarters of the game, played pretty well in the whole, um, managed to pin um, Antwerp in um, a lot, pressed them hard. They were, they were pretty good, forcing a lot of mistakes. Um, I thought they played well, managed to throw the game away, throw the question out about, you know, Mignolet's role in both goals is is pretty questionable, I think. Um, I, I think we know that now. A lot of the club fans really disappointed with Ronnie Dyla's substitutions in this game. I don't think they're maybe as bad as some of the club fans think. I think that's maybe got more to do with kind of how the game obviously ended in the way that it did, rather than the, the substitutions themselves. But he does have this thing, Ronnie, of of where, when when club have the lead, um, his instinct as a coach is to protect that um, by making what I think a lot of fans would consider um, slightly negative substitutions and trying to shore things up when there were positive options on the bench. I think in this case, I've got a slight sympathy with him just because your side's playing at the Bossel. Antwerp are very, very strong at home, unbeaten at home, even though they weren't playing as well as they would normally do at home. I think there's just a sense of, of you know, being up against that crowd, I think, even if you're in a winning position. So in a way, psychologically, I kind of get where he was coming from, um, although it didn't work out for him. That's club's first defeat in the league in 12. You know, as Ben was saying, they've been in a brilliant run of form and I don't think this game really should be used to as a stick to beat Ronnie and his coaching staff that much. Having said that, when you look at the bigger picture, they really haven't had a good week. They've dropped five points this week. You know, they dropped points against Cortrite that, you know, they shouldn't have, could have lost that game in the end, but didn't. And then this game's gone gone against them um, right at the death. So it hasn't been a good week for them. And, you know, Union will have been watching that probably and enjoyed that quite a lot because club were looking like the ones that they should have been more wary of than, than Anderlecht at the moment. So um, that's, you know, if you're an Union fan and, and of that persuasion in, in, in Brussels, that'll have been kind of quite a sweet one to, to watch. 
watch for you, bearing in mind as well that club have picked up some, you know, reasonably nasty injuries to key players in that game. Suspensions are kind of coming up as well. Maxim de Kuyper, who's Ben was saying, quite a nasty case of whiplash. He was in hospital with that. He's actually made the the squad, the, the full match squad for the cup final. We don't know whether he will appear. I would be surprised if he did, to be honest, but... Um, he's in the squad and we'll see how those injuries um, affect them over the next couple of weeks because they could be coming at kind of quite a nice time for some of their title challengers. I don't agree with Scott on this one. I think Dyla completely ruined this game with uh, with his substitutions uh, way too early. Like, you can do that. I, I can follow the reasoning a little bit if it's like in the final minutes of the game, but uh, half an hour before the game, throwing in Boyata, who hasn't featured outside of a few cup games in the last couple of months, probably whole season even. Uh, that, was definitely, that was definitely ever... the weirdest one. I'm glad Joris has brought Boyata up, everybody, because when, when Boyata came on, I said to the guys, guess who's coming on? Remember him? <laughs> it was not that long ago that he featured, actually, but he, did, he hasn't featured for that long even, and even that is only half an hour. But, uh, well, not that that is necessary. He didn't necessarily did anything wrong in on this on the goals, I guess. But it's most more like the mentality. Yeah, actually, a bit of a losing mentality, I guess. Um, in in this specific game, of course, uh, and, and it was an accident waiting to happen. Uh, just by the way they were controlling the game until then, and after that, actually, the momentum changed as well. So it's not that it changed before that. Yeah, and. That's why I feel like, yeah, that they, I think there are some things. My my friend, uh, uh, fan was, was saying it immediately already. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, this is this is. They're never going to win this one now. It's way too early to to, to go defensively at the moment. Um, yeah, especially, yeah, and when you're in in control that much in a game, if you would not be in control already, I would also understand it a bit more. But now you basically gave away control by your own. Uh, partially at least uh, through your own changes. There was, yeah. there was. it's interesting actually this whole argument I think guys because I think you know as I was saying Ronnie's instinct is 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 to do that when, when the sides are in the lead he does it a lot when you look at the substitutions but as Joris was saying the thing about this game was club, club were on top so to, to make what were basically negative substitutions at that point is kind of quite strange with how long of the game there was left as well. So his, his, his instincts went against what he actually did there, which is the most interesting thing I think about it. And his face afterwards, I was saying to you guys, did you see Ronnie's face? He looked absolutely shell-shocked about what, what had happened as well. He really did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, um, I think he knew, he knew. He knew. <laughs> At that moment, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, like Scott mentioned, even 15 games unbeaten uh, across all competitions. Um, yeah, and yeah, Im- imagine uh, only one week ago we were ta- everyone, not only us, but we're talking about them maybe putting putting it, being able to, to be the, the the biggest challengers for Union, but now they dropped five points and it looks so far away already again. And Antwerp is as likely in a way. Uh, since they're literally in the same position in the league now, um, yeah, that which is a surprise on itself, yeah. And for Antwerp, uh, well, I guess a great week in the form of uh, three shots from distance, um, because actually they were not playing well, also in the game against Andar, they, they did not deserve to win either of those games. Uh, if 
to be frank, but they do get the, the full amount of points for them. And uh, of course, that puts them uh, right in the saddle and a bit more secure uh, in playoff one. Although, yeah, everything can still change really quickly the, there. Uh, it's difficult to, to, to predict, but they, it looks like it's a bit more cemented and a bit of... It's not that long anymore, of course, as well. So there's not that much time to catch uh, other teams. Um, yeah, and like... Another one with Corbani scoring, which I'm not sure if it's actually true in this case. I might be bending it through it a little bit here, but with his first touch of the game, <laughs> uh, in the, yeah, with that this, uh, strike from distance, I, he might have had some before. I'm not, comp- it, I'm not sure. I might not be lying either, but at least with one of his first touches, let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, the, um, um, definitely. Yeah, well, um, and yeah, a really good uh, goal to to score your first one in the senior side, of course. Even though I agree with Scott, um, yeah, the, the Mignolet's positioning there, it was not perfect. Like the, it's a really good goal, but it's not unstoppable. If yeah, I think keeper from Satcher of uh, of Mignolet should be able to 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 get that one. Yeah, and the second one is probably even worse. Um, in the, in a way, although yeah. Okay, both of them, Mignolet is not completely free um, of uh, of charge, <laughs> of uh, yeah, of blame, of blame. Yeah, I think to be fair, you can see it on his face as well, couldn't you? He knows that he should have done better. <coughs> he was quite kind of honest with himself, I guess you could say on that one. But yeah, the Dumbia strike from the midweek is definitely worth seeing if you had him against Standard Ace. That's a fantastic, fantastic goal. Uh, let's go to Urpen or... As Florian Kofeld's calling them stays these days, just Erpen because it's just Erpen. No one cares about Erpen. The referees hate us. He had his. <laughs> I, don't, I can't remember how long ago it was. There was a moment where like Roy Hodgson just randomly after a game just completely exploded and was like the most un-Roy Hodgson moment ever. And Kofeld's had his Roy Hodgson moment after this game. He's just gone absolutely flipping mental. Um, so we'll get to that in a second. But only one goal separated the sides. It's Dan Fulon. Yeah, he's just been playing really well recently. And he kind of, if we're, we're harking back to Premier League old boys and old days, he did a um, an, a reverse Glenn Johnson. And people remember Glenn Johnson randomly cutting in and shooting with his, uh, his weak foot and it flying into the back of the net and everyone being like, this is incredible. And then on the playground, we all tried to recreate the Glenn Johnson. Uh, maybe then there'll be people on the uh, the kids on the uh, the schoolyards of Mechelen being like, I'm going to do a fool and I'm going to cut in and smash it into the back of the net. I highly doubt it. Um, but he gets a lovely, lovely goal from him. But yeah, Kofod after the game just went absolutely mad. Um, he says it was a handball by Mikhail, uh, the Mechelen player. I literally haven't seen it, so I have absolutely no idea. But, but judging by what he's saying, I presume there probably was. Um He's like, clear mistake by the ref. They just will find a reason to explain it. But then he's like, it's not an excuse. We should have won the game 3-1, probably 4-1. Uh, we would have just equalised with the penalty. He's like, this happened to us before. They just don't care because we're just open. It's just open. They're not going to complain. But now I'm complaining. Now I'm kicking off. Of course, I'm speaking to the referees, but they don't respect me, yada, yada, yada. So Florian Kofod's really, really pissed off at the moment. I think he's just kind of had enough um, of open not getting the rub of the green. But at the end of the day, like he says, they should have won four one. They didn't. They just they can't score, and that's kind of the problem. They have. <laughs> I love his optimism. <laughs> yeah. well, who says they even score the penalty? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of just is what it is. Whereas Besnik Harsey's just he's 
that results wise they did a fantastic job even though yeah they conceded what, like 18 shots to earth and then he had one on target and it went into the back of the net but at the end of the day it's keeping him in the league and I think they've got a, a reasonably nice run coming up of a couple of teams that if they beat them they are more than likely going to be safe if they can just avoid dropping points I'm just trying to remember who they were those teams are so yeah they've got kind of in their run and they've got like kind of Kortrike and Leuven so you think if they can beat those two within their run and they could probably lose the other games and they, they mathematically obviously would be fine I can't imagine if I had to kind of look at the maths that wouldn't be the case but I presume that would be fine um, so yeah good win for Mechelen not great for Erpen. Uh they obviously they did beat Antwerp the other week but then they've lost to Charlotte in the week they've lost to Mechelen in the week so it's kind of just back to square one for them I guess well, Erpen did did create more than Mechelen, so this is where um, Florian's right. They probably did deserve something out of the game on, on, on the balance of play, but as Ben was saying, they just can't score goals, and you're always going to be vulnerable against anybody, even another side that don't score that many, um, and Mechelen aren't scoring as many as, as they should or as they used to. Um, they've really been digging deep recently, you know, as, as I was saying to Joris last week, and picking up some really valuable points. Three wins in the last four now, um, and, you know, if they can continue this form and continue to dig deep for another few weeks and pick up some more points, they're not a million miles away from knocking on the door of a playoff one spot, which is unbelievable when you look at it now. You know, I, I you know, I would have said no chance even three or four weeks ago to that. But it's it, it's amazing because, again, they've had a kind of quite a quiet window. Um, obviously, the, the the most interesting one is Islam Samani coming back to Belgium, um, 35 years old now um, we know he can do a job and he has lots of interesting elements to kind of his game he's big he's physical he's good in the air he's got a great eye for goal it kind of makes sense as a short-term signing it doesn't excite me as someone who has a big Mechelen soft spot but I completely understand it um, particularly um, you know with, with some of the faces that have gone out it, you know when that option became available in a short term deal then then yeah i probably would have pushed that button myself besnick has i think is delighted with it because of the i suppose my tactical point of view the options it gives him um in an attacking sense as well it, it, it gives him more in one signing as well so in that in that way it's kind of quite good uh, Garanesh uh, Murunanga's come in as well. He, um, he he played sort of the last sort of twenty seven minutes of the game. Um, decent signing replacement for uh, Jordi Van La Berg, of course, who who's gone to Bronby. But yeah, I mean things looking up for for Mechelen, and I think the most important thing for them at the moment is just to try and maintain the momentum they're starting to build up a little bit now. Key players are still to come back as well. Um, Nicholas Storm, obviously being the most important one um, should be back by the end of February. Probably won't see the best of him, obviously, because he's not going to be completely fit, but um, we will see him again before the end of the season, and that in itself is just a tremendous tremendous boost to the whole club. Um, I think Florian Kofeld's rage this week, as Ben was talking about, probably speaks more to just the general pressure that he's feeling um, at the moment as well. Things are looking really squeaky for them down there, and although there has been a slight improvement Improvement for them in, in, in recent weeks. Um, things ultimately are still going against them, and they're they're kind of still in the thick of it. And that initial little bounce that they got with uh, Reno Imon coming in seems to have been halted by um, by his bounce of sickness this week, which led to him missing the game. Yeah, and uh, yeah, of course, it, there was a handball. There was also then the late on 
rightfully red card for for Dayom as well. Though I don't think he was really complaining about that one, but yeah, of course he can he can miss that at the moment. I think everyone can miss that in any situation. But uh, yeah, that really stupid action from from Dayom there at the end of the game. But uh, yeah, two painful one 0 losses uh, last week for for Open, of course against uh, straight opponents uh, and well. At the moment, at that time point of time, still at least trade opponents. I don't think you can still say the same about uh, Michel anymore. I do think uh, they they already have enough margin now. And uh, yeah, opening general, I I guess he's right. Not getting a a, a few calls the last uh, few weeks. Uh, they're going their way. On the other hand, you can also say Michel actually have gotten a lot of them uh, their way the last three games. Actually, the the penalty against Anderlecht on the penalty that Anderlecht did not get afterwards, for uh, for example, uh, and that's only for one point. But then the the, 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 the Molenbeek was also furious the game before that uh, for for the. Yeah, they they um, uh, still want to replay that game as well. I guess like, I don't know if they're if that's still something that's in there. I don't think so, but uh, at least they wanted that. So the, they got Michel got a call uh, a call a penalty call against them, not uh, called on um, as well in that game for a similar thing. I guess actually uh, that's what happened in this game. Um, yeah. And Michel on itself, like yeah, yeah. The, the statistics this game actually already said as well. They're not necessarily playing that well, but they are getting the points. Um, but uh, yeah, I would also go more Scots way and uh, say like uh, Michel play Henk this weekend. Michel Henk at home. Henk have only won in Michel once in twenty years, I believe, um, and they're only four points away from them. Okay, Henk in itself are also not in the uh, currently in the in the playoff uh, spot, but yeah, if they win that one, which is not completely unlikely, um, yeah, that that would uh, really catapult them, and of course, then they still depend on circular result the last next weekend and also in the next upcoming weeks. Uh, but yeah, as, as, uh, as Ben mentioned, there are a few more winnable winnable games for for Mechela in there as well. That they might end up for the first time uh, in the in the Champions League uh, in, champ- in the Champions playoffs um, the, this season. That I feel like is a bit optimistic, the, given the level that they're performing at. But I mean, if things keep falling their way as they have been recently, um, who knows? It'd be like there's that picture, isn't there, of like a, a tortoise on top of like a pillar or like a garden post thing. And it's like no one has any idea how he got there, and no one knows why it's there. And it, it shouldn't be there. I feel like if Mechelen make the top six, we'll be like, "What? <laughs> what are you doing here?" And everyone kind of looking at this person walking into like a room, like, huh? <laughs> "Where did you get here?" But they are, they're going to get Mori Kanate back as well, obviously. Um, mm. So that'd be a nice little bonus to that midfield, kind of shore it up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would just be bizarre if they made it into playoff one. I mean. Yeah, it's just because it's, a, it's just not gonna happen, is it? But no, still, but there's four, a chance somehow. Yeah, four <laughs> points. I mean, it's it's not impossible. Uh, and Slimani, I don't know. It's got like it's got you. You kind of described in there, and I was like, it just sounds like they've got their Di Camargo back, kind of that like the veteran that you mm-hmm. can just lob on to win a couple of headers and do stuff. But I do. He's one of those players that I think if if the wingers can start really firing off at Mechelen, like, yeah. he will, he could just thrive because he loves that sort of service and stuff. We saw him when he was at his best for Algeria and, so, and other teams and stuff. Like if you get the ball in the box, he just, 
he just loves it. Like he just loves the game. I think you noticed that. We saw that when he was at Anderlecht. He just loves to play football. He loves to bully defenders. He loves to score goals. And it's like, what more could you want in your team to chuck on near the end? And he's head and shoulders above what they've got up front at the moment. Like even if he's like partially fit, seventy percent of Samani is better than anything Mechelen have up front at the moment. Mm. So I'm I'm excited for him to be back. I, I love him. I, he's one of my favourite players. He's been one of my favourite players for a long time, and I think. Yeah, it's cool to see him back, and I hope he's a does has a similar impact to what he did at Anderlecht. But then maybe, yeah, maybe they will find themselves in playoff one. And Slimani denying Anderlecht the title, like, could you imagine? <laughs> that could be <laughs> Speaking of Anderlecht, this is the game that we've got to talk about. The most ridiculous game of football this weekend. Of the things that did actually happen, um, just before half time, Anderlecht get a penalty foul by I believe it was Watanabe. Um, up steps Andreas Dreyer. Nice finish from him. 1 0. Fair enough. Going at half time. Again, obviously, no Kuipers. He's gone. So it's De Potra and Tisu Dali. The band's back together again. The brotherhood, the two, the two fine players together. Looks like they've got themselves a penalty uh, in the second half. Ball hits for Tongan on the hand. It's, it's a clear and obvious fat, like penalty. However, there's then given a free kick for a foul by De Potter on Ritz. This one, Hein did hate, obviously. Like, he's quite angry about this one. This one, I'm kind of a little bit less, like, angry about myself. I think it's still a little bit ridiculous, but I'm like, okay, fine. Like, you can kind of give it because maybe De Potter grabs Ritz first. But they're both just kind of going at it. Um, we then have, um, this may be in the wrong order, so kind of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Nilsson Angulo is played through on goal, but the referee just put, the linesman just brings his flag up and calls it offside before he's had a chance to do anything, and he, he puts the ball in the back of the net. But everyone's kind of stopped play at this point. Um, miles, he's miles on side, like he's definitely, definitely on side, and it's just it makes no sense because this whole year we've seen linesmen not bring their flags up; they wait until the the players kind of finalise, and then they'll bring their flag up for offside. So I get Andalet fans are like, kind of well. You've had that one, but then we've had this one. So I kind of understand it. But the last one is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. One of the worst decisions I've ever seen. I'm not saying it's just because I went to Ghent and had a bloody good time. I'm saying it's <laughs> the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Corner for Ghent. Or if, I think it's a yeah, corner for Ghent or free kick. I can't quite remember what it is. Ball comes in, gets headed clear. Julian Dessart absolutely leathers it past Kasper Schmeichel. Kasper Schmeichel in his prime's not getting near that. Kasper Schmeichel in... 35 plus, he's definitely not saving it. Fantastic, fantastic goal. For some reason, Arnstad's on the floor, and you're like, well, what, what happened there? Like, did he get hit in the face? Did he like get punched? Like, what happened? He looks like something's happened. Oh, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So, he's not even looking at the ball, he's never looks at the ball when this corner's been taken. He's just staring at Candice. Candice gets the step on him, so he tries to block the path, and obviously, Candice runs into him, hand to the touches his face as he's trying to go past because Candice is like twice the bloody size of him. He goes down clutching his face as if he's been hit. The referee sees it and calls a free kick for Andelect. If anything, and I do kind of agree with Hein, if anything, Arnstad has blocked Candice's run. It's actually a penalty because he's tried to bloody rugby tackle the bloke. He sticks his arm out around his waist. And even Hein's like, 
it's not rugby. You can't do this. Blah blah blah. And obviously Hines just going mental. He's doing it like twice. We've been denied two times. We've been cheated. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> first one, first one. I'm like, okay, fine. That cancels it out of the Angulo one because the Angulo offside one's also absolutely ridiculous and never called. But this second one has denied one of the best goals of the weekend, and it's an utterly ridiculous decision. That is, it's just a complete misinterpretation of the rules of the game because, like I said, answer doesn't look at the ball. He never looks at the ball. Candice is just playing the ball. He's trying to get the header, and, and Anstead blocks him, and then goes down. It's just like that's not. It's just not a foul. It's just not a foul at any time of the game. So they have come out and then said we're not going to appeal it and try and get a replay. And I was like, well, you you can't anyway. Like at least with Genk, mm. it's like there was such a clear error that it was like a completely against the rules of play and blah blah blah. Like, it was very very clear that this was completely wrong. What happened with the Genk game? This one, it's just they've, they've interpreted it in a certain way that's wrong, but they can get away with it. Do you know what I mean? Like if you try to appeal it, they could say, the referee could easily say, well, I've judged it this and blah, blah, blah. It's fine. But honestly, it, it did kind of wind me up this one, that one when it got called off. Cause I was like, it's just the most ridiculous kind of interpretation of a rule. And it's rewarding a defender for making an illegal play. It's stupid. Um, so I completely kind of sympathise with him and it would have been a massive point for them because they've been awful recently. They've been terrible. They have no kind of goal threat at the moment or anything like that. And they got this wonder goal and they've just been denied it by some really, really poor refereeing. Yeah, I think that decision was, was for many people, a uh, moment of the weekend. Uh, completely agree with Ben. Ludicrous. It is just not a foul. And I don't think anybody really know what was knew what was going on. Um, Big Hine, understandably, had a, had a lot to say about this game. He always has a lot to say, rightly or wrongly. This week, it was all right. Um, he actually said at one point that, you know, the officiating was, was amateurism of the highest order. You know, he wasn't... Um, yeah, he wasn't mincing his words this week. Um, he was looking a little bit less angry than I've seen him um, when decisions have gone against him. But I think he's obviously reached a point where he's seen so much ludicrousness um, now um, that he's, you know, he's, you might as well actually say what you think and, you know, take the fine, take the trouble that comes. Because in some leagues, you couldn't come out with a statement like that without without there being trouble to, to, to follow. So, you know, he's been around long enough, Hine, to uh, not mince his words. Um, and I kind of enjoyed listening to him this week um, because he was, he was spot on. I think Anderlecht, as I was saying, um, still overperforming slightly, I think, um, still getting things going their way. And I'm not a, I'm not a conspiracy uh, theory freak, but there are some out there uh, following Belgian football and Belgian football fans who do think that Anderlecht get the rub of the green with a lot of officiating. Um, there was talk this week of the, the, the secret database um, that the refereeing department has that keeps you know a track of um, stats in terms of which decisions go for which side and which against. So there's little league tables and league tables of, of referees, which is all top secret and not publicly available. And I think there was a lot of people looking at this decision in this game going, okay, right, well, you know, Anderlecht, I've, I've had another favour kind of go their way that just seems as ludicrous as it was kind of the rest of us but I'm not saying there's a conspiracy at all but there are some who do believe it I don't really believe in these things Ghent on the other hand have had as we know they've had a miserable January which we thought they were in they might have we weren't sure but it turns out they did for a combination of reasons February hasn't started off too great for them um, either and I think their title challenge is probably over now as well um, which was which is so unfortunate and 
I suppose we have to talk about this a wee bit. Where do we think they are at now, guys? Because I know Ben is kind of unsure. He's leaning towards not a great window. Um, they've racked up the cash big time. Obviously, Kuipers has gone out. That was confirmed today. Um, Orban's gone out. Kuipers actually 33 goals in 59 games for Ghent. Orban 32 in 52. Almost identical figures, marginally more impressive for Orban. Uh, Fafana's gone as well. So they're sitting on a massive big fat pile of cash. They've brought in a few faces. Um, I'm actually unsure. I'm, I'm not sure whether they're they're stronger um, and is more depth there or not. Time will tell. Maybe I'm being swayed by the poor form at the moment. Um, Joris, on the other hand, I know Joris, you lean towards them being in a slightly stronger position coming out of this window, don't you? I don't think their recruitment was bad. That's the main thing, I guess. <laughs> the replacement has been good. Of course, doing a whole overhaul of your starting eleven in the middle of the season is generally not a great idea. <laughs> 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 I, I, I guess I'm sitting on the fence more than anyway than, than anything else, which is already a more positive view than than, than both of you, I think. But uh, yeah, well, I I I do like quite uh, some of the recruitment. Sonko is supposed to be a really good talent, but of course, also it's an 18, 19 year old talent. Sometimes they will need some time to adapt. Uh, of course, that goes for any kind of player. But uh, and and of course, some players are coming go, coming back now as well. Watanabe already was there, albeit he actually had a better game causing that penalty and actually I think he was taking off at, at the break consequently uh, as well straight away so maybe it was not the best decision to throw him uh, straight away but yeah um, the, nonetheless a few players are coming back to Sadali uh, also already made back they, they still might need some time but in the longer term I'm not sure they're not um, well that they're, that they're that much weaker than they were before um, but yeah, the long term, it, it, the, the, it's of course the short term that they need and the mid term, uh, well, and given the results, I guess, uh, really not going their way. Uh, that's uh, one, one point in 2024 so far. Like, I think it's probably the, the one side doing worse than Genk at the moment. Uh, so, well, uh, that, that's, that's that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, that, that's, that's not great, of course. And, of, and then Uno not barely dropping any points. So, yeah. For really a title challenge, that's I don't think that's going to happen anymore, obviously. But uh, I'm not sure if that would have happened otherwise. Of course, we'll never know. But uh, yeah, the, they 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 did a, too much of an overhaul. But I do think the recruitment and the replacements might prove um, well good replacements in the longer run. But yeah, what that what that means for the rest of this season, hopefully for them, the the long run is uh, not too too long. Uh, Especially with only like some players coming back from Asia and from Africa, uh, from from their respective cups, uh, there, yeah. Um, Anderlecht now firmly in second place um, with this result, seven points ahead uh, of the of the competition there now. Uh, also, the first win against uh, Hint in uh, five years' time. I think I've used this stats a few times uh, when it didn't happen, but the last time that happened was uh, with Van Halsenbroek as manager of Anderlecht and Kum scoring both goals for Anderlecht as well. Uh, now the captain of uh, Hint again as well, of course, uh, after you know, the Anderlecht one was, uh, spell was more in between his two uh, Hint spells. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, what else to say? If, uh, I've, that that call was ridiculous. 
the call afterwards was even more ridiculous. The, the offside call, Angulo was like one meter on site and he scored 2 0. Of course, that might not have happened if that first call would have gone differently. That's speculation, of course. We never know. But And also, I think Gent players already had stopped because they, they had stopped the, 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 you know, they had blown the whistle. But the wait and see rule doesn't seem to exist. It's, it, I think that's a really, like, you can't really do that anymore in the science of VAR anyway, despite all the controversy that there is. That, yeah, that, that, that's a weird one. And of course, um, Andrecht also, like, like I mentioned before, in the, in the midweek game against Mechelen, decision di- decisions actually even did not go their way in, in the at the back end of the game there at both ends of the, well, at both penalty boxes. Yeah, um, whether that's well all all in uh, even at the end of the season, well more or less, I still believe that's probably the case for any team anyway. But it always feels like for supporters from either your own side or of opponents that that it's going leaning towards some other teams' uh, favor more than in others. But that's yeah, that that's what fans do, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like when we started this podcast, everyone was like, Club Bruges get all the decisions. Club Bruges always got all the decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's Anderlecht. But really, what we've kind of decided tonight, I think, collectively, is that Mechelen are the most favoured team by the referees. And Mechelen are clearly the favourites. And that ev- all the referees <laughs> love Mechelen. And they just... Yeah, and well, <laughs> the, the, the one thing that's, that's, that, that's, of course, adds to all that is, of course, that, that, that like, this whole corruption scandal is only five years ago and nothing much tangible has happened there. And, Mech- well, okay, yeah. this is joking me, but Mechelen were, of course, evolved there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let anyone tell us we don't join the dots here. But I do don't don't think they are in the in the financial situation to be able to do so at the moment. <laughs> That's all their money's <laughs> No, I think just kind of rounding it back to the Ghent transfer window. I think my kind of view on it was I feel they've completely dropped the ball on what should have been a title-winning season this year. I think they should oh. have been right up there because they had the squad to be right up there. Yeah. They've just not performed to the level that they should. I think the sales of Orban and Fofana were brilliant. I think they were fantastic. I think they've made financially the completely the right decision there. Like That money that they got is just... You can't turn that down in the Pro League. That's just It's just oh. really, really good money for those two players. And we have to remember, Orban wasn't really performing anyway. It's the Kuipers one oh. for me. Like when I went to watch them play, I just thought they've got nothing. They didn't really have anything to connect to Kuipers without kind of like a Tisu Dali or someone like that, oh. or like obviously uh, Hong Sak Hong as well. He is the, the kind of link man. So it's like, okay, maybe when they get Hong back, they'll be fine because they'll have him. And yeah, I agree with you. So I think some of those players, like the, uh, oh, I don't want to butcher his name, um, the other Japanese guy that they signed, Yokota. Um, from Gordon Chapter, he looked really good. He mm. just like some of the passes he did. I was like, yeah, this this kid can play. Sir does as well. Like I kind of liked the energy and kind of he's quite looks like quite an exciting player. And I can see why they brought him in. Sonko as well. You've already mentioned um, Mitrovic. <laughs> we we already know about Mitrovic, so he's not really kind of a new one. And I'm quite surprised he's got a contract of twenty twenty seven. But he's one of Hein's boys, so maybe that keeps Hein in the job as well. I don't know. <laughs> But I think Hein, he, he actually did make a really good point. He said these sales set us up to act like a big club in Belgium in the summer. And I think that's kind of, they, they decided, they've just said, we're not going to win the league this season. Let's just kind of get all that money in. But the, the Kuipers one really stings. And it's kind of, 
you're now relying on Deportzer and Tisudali to carry the load. And they did it a couple of seasons ago and they were great together, but, but Deportzer's 35 now and he's been out mm. most of the season. Um, and I just, I, don't, I feel like there needs to be a slight kind of change as well, because I feel like it's just, I don't want to kind of rag on some of these guys, but again, like going to watch them play, you really did notice that, I don't, we've said it before, and it's just it's a hind thing. They just have kind of like workman like kind of fullbacks like Brown and Samwas. They're just workmen like they don't they're not they don't really have the quality to create anything. Like there'd be moments where Brown would or Samwas would get the ball, and you're like, just you need to do something here. Like you need to beat someone, or you need to cross it, or you need to be able to do this. And he just didn't really have it. And I didn't get to mention it, but like Noah Fadiga came on. And in my mind, he was one of the best players on the pitch because he tried to do stuff and like he mm. got stuff going for them against Westerlo. So they've got there was Serdas and Makuta and kind of these other guys. You're like, you could just stick them out wide and let's have some fun here, please. <laughs> like want stuff to do because like, that's what Castro Montes was quite good at, and that's what he's doing obviously at Union. Like he is one of those guys that will drive forward and try and get balls into the box and stuff. And it's just kind of lacking that at the moment, and that's why yeah. they're kind of relying on Union to start screamers. And and like yeah. Two things. Okay, yes, my whole assessment of that transfer window, I made it with you guys, I think, before even before uh, the window closed, and that was still in the assumption they would at least get someone to replace Kuipers. Yeah, that one didn't come, and that, yeah, okay, that that also, I had forgotten that in my overview here. Yeah, that 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 is definitely one that will hurt them a lot. Um, even though, yeah, okay, Kuipers, it seems like he himself really wanted to go this time. They had halted the transfer in the summer. You know, I guess after the sale of the others, like he also felt like, well, why am I still here then? And also, one, one, yeah, why didn't you let me go? And two, well, yeah, are are also on, on, on the field, like our chances are diminished anyway. So like, I mean, what are you guys doing? And then not getting replacement, yeah, that that's definitely gonna hurt them on the shorter term <laughs> for sure. And um, yeah, that was one thing. And the other thing, of course, yeah, they, they, their level indeed has just not been great. Also in this game against Andrich, they were just poor. I guess you can still they, that part of hands frustration is probably also coming from that. And it actually is working. Like nobody's talking about how poor they actually were. That it's one of those deflection techniques that it often does actually in the media but like yeah, actually i think in some papers there were not it was not even a a, a big word about the, the how can't play but more like three pages full of well the decisions and the refereeing yeah <laughs> that, that of course that's only part of it um there's definitely some larger frustration going on in there as well but um, I'm, I'm sure that also plays a little part in uh, at least a little part in the in this whole uh, tyranny of words, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's a shame because I did I did feel like they had a really good chance this year, um, but I, I just feel like even yeah, the Kuipers one like twelve million, I think it's kind of been banded around that. Like, you can't really say no to that money, uh, that kind of. And if he wants to go to the MLS, like he wants to go to the MLS, you've you've not sold him in competition, you've not sold him to another European side, you, you've actually sent him across the the sea, and it's like. It's kind of weird. It's a weird move for him, in my opinion. Like, I don't want to kind of take a dump on the MLS, but it's never really become that league that it thinks it is, in mm. my opinion. Like, it's never mm. become the league it thinks it should be. Like, even with like Messi going there, it just feels very kind of like I don't. It's not that league where 
you're going to get like a call up to the Belgian national team if you're playing over there. Like, so this is not going to happen. And I think he's kind of punted on that as well. I think he's maybe fairly fair enough. He's just said, no, it's not going to happen to me. I'm going to continue to be overlooked. Why not just go and earn mm. a load of money, have probably quite a nice time over there um, and not have to watch my team just not be able to give me the ball for 90 minutes and create anything. So, yeah. I think Although he will... Think- he will have to buy a hat because um, Chicago's famously very windy. Yeah, it is pretty windy, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe that'll help the ball kind of move towards him to go into the back of the net. I don't know. Good luck to him over there. I think it, it, uh, they could have maybe sold him and said, like, look, in the summer, we're going to get all these players in and we're going to compete again because we've just got loads of money. But he's gone and it's like... And to be fair, I don't think Gustav Nielsen or Nicol Buren would have been the answer to the, the striker problem anyway. I don't... I don't... I know we said Nielsen, obviously, he's doing well for Union, but I don't think he's... I th- he feels to me like one of those players that if he moves somewhere, I don't think he'd be as good. I think he's good at Union because of Union. I don't think he'd be good anywhere else, to be honest. Um, one team that will probably take advantage of Ghent slipping up and who do have a striker that, in my opinion, would be good in most places, uh, a circle of region, Kevin Denke. Uh, they welcome St. Sluden and poor old... Mr. Joe Coppins uh, just had a nightmare in this one. He picked the ball up a lot of times and he wasn't too great between the sticks either. Ten minutes in, lovely, lovely counter-attacking move from Circle Bruce. Just Sommers playing it down the line. Uh, I think it's Minder gets on it. Crosses the back post. Kevin Denke tucks it in 1-0. Minder then gets... Uh, no, sorry, Denke then scores again in the... Oh, no, Minder. Yes, yeah, sorry. Get my players all mixed up. Minder then scores in the... 42nd minute, just he's just in front of Coppins. Coppins comes to get the ball, and yeah, Minder's just there to tuck it in. So it's a golden assist for Minder. He then gets his second assist of the game. Ball to the back post to Denki. It kind of goes a little bit further than the goal. I have to say, at this moment, I kind of looked away because I was like, oh, the chance has come. So I was like, I just like was checking something else. Look up, and Denki's celebrating. He just smashed it past Coppins from the near post. Fourth goal, or lag bay at 67 minute. He just waltzes through the St. Tudor defence, which is just, by this point, they've just, they've just given up. They've just been absolutely blitzed by Circle's kind of pressing and counter-attacking. That Circle end the game is 34% possession, but they were just brilliant on the counter-attack. They just kind of, it was classic, kind of, to me, it's one of those classic cases of where Circle just, they've you can tell they've just done their homework. They know exactly how they're going to win this game. Miron's just gone in and all the guys have gone in with the stats and data and all that and they've said look they're going to have the ball the whole game that's fine we just let them have it because we're just going to batter them with a counter with like you just look at the kind of players he put in different positions like drop Sommers back from the forward position that he's usually into right back so that he could get Minda and Alagbe in there to kind of just bomb on down the lines and yeah Denki is just always going to have a nice little field day and he did 4-0 at that point Centrude and then do have a little counter-attacker themselves at the end of the game. Giselfo Barnes, congratulations to him scoring his first goal in the Pro League. Gutted for him that it came in one of these sort of games. It just felt like a real, real shame that it just happened to come when they were getting absolutely battered and, and lost. Uh, but congratulations to him. Didn't see any Adriano Bertazzini, uh, unfortunately, but he is the new man in Centrude. Although maybe a little bit of competition with Zara Salarem up front, but it shouldn't be too long until we see Adriano. And yeah, I think we've all kind of been banging the St. Judas should sign him drum for a little bit of time now. So it's nice to see that they clearly listened to us and it wasn't anything to do with their scouting. It's just they listened to us. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll go get him because these boys are telling us to do it. Uh, great win for Circa. I think that's a fantastic win for them. 
into that top six, just three points behind Ghent. Uh, puts that kind of Westerlo defeat behind them with a nice win there. Um, Kevin Denke amongst the goals. And Alan Minder, special shout-out, he was fantastic. Yeah, I think um, we, we've been raving a lot this season about how good St. Truden have been to watch. They play, you know, quite good, you know, expansive, one-touch attacking football. Um, the sort of football I think that Ivan Lekon would love to see his standard side playing, actually. Um, horizontal football, if you will. Um, yeah, this is what happens when um, you're not good enough to play around a side that is as aggressive in the press as Circle is and as structured in their play as Ben was saying, they really did their homework. And as good as St. Truden have been to watch um, and as expansive as they are, then they're they're not good enough or structured enough to be able to play around the strengths to Circle's game. Circle really exploited that, as Ben was saying, brilliantly this weekend. Yep, you you have the ball because we know we're going to nick it off you. Circle are the masters of the high turnovers as well and forced mistakes in sides. And St. Truden are a side who, again, as good as they are, there's a lot of slack passing sometimes in in the midst of trying to do something brilliant. And sometimes it's come off for this season for them and at other times it has and circular the sort of side that will kill you on their day um, if that's the sort of football you play and that's exactly what happened here it could have been more um, Ben's right they've they've spent big for St Truden they've spent a little bit more than 800,000 I think on, on Bertaccini wasn't in the squad this weekend um, a lot of talk about Torsten Fink wanting to give him a little bit of time getting used to their system which I thought was slightly odd but at the same time I do understand why a coach wouldn't pitch somebody in there um, his game, I've said this a few times before I, I've seen a few of RFC Liège's games this season um, admittedly not a lot of them, I've seen two or three games w- where he started um, and he's got some elements to his game that I think are really strong that a lot of sides would really like and I think he can add to what they do, he could be the missing link, but it's it's you know underline the word could at the moment because there's certainly plenty of pressure on him because he's he's not going to get a great deal of support in terms of other players pitching in with a lot of goals, other than our friend Abu Bakri Koita, who is having generally a really good season and is probably going to be off in the summer. So that's probably another reason why the recruitment team and. In, in Audrey Pinto at St Truden have decided that they really need to try and address that now um, rather than, than than worrying about being in an, an even deeper hole in the summer. Yeah, the, I, I, I guess so. Um, the, it will be an interesting summer for them anyway, I think, uh, for St Truden uh, already this winter as well, but they managed to not lose many players. Uh, Shioka is the main one, I guess. The rest stayed um, so far. But uh, what what will be, if that still will be the case at the end of the season, uh, yeah, we'll, that's highly doubtful. I think they also might have to sell still uh, as well um, um, a little bit uh, for the financial situation, as many teams in Belgium had <laughs> the realities uh, of the financing there. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, in this game, yeah, losing four uh, one um, um, after winning four one against Hint uh, in the midweek, yeah, <laughs> mirrored results, I guess, and also that was a deserved win. But you would probably not have expected those results to go the before these games, um, yeah, that they would go this way if you knew the result of those games. Um, but yeah, I guess a complete off day. They seem a little bit, um, yeah less good in the last few weeks outside of that game against uh, Hint uh, in their in their level of play. Um, but 
yeah, uh, this day, this time they really had an off day, and uh, that, yeah, Barnes got his first of the season. Indeed, that's probably the main thing they can get they get out of it. Maybe it's already because of Bertaccini being uh, knocking on his uh, knocking on the door as well um, soon. Although it's more Zaire Eslam, who is actually in the recent weeks actually has found found some form, has pitched in with a few goals, and like well, has, actually has been decent for them in in the last few weeks and months, maybe even uh, and yeah. Just not scoring enough, but now we finally seems to have taken off a little. Not not well, okay. Nothing too exciting yet, but a few goals at least. And uh, yeah, Cirque, of course, uh, in the top six again now. Um, after their first win in 2024, they also highly needed that win. But yeah, you can see some teams are really dipping in form in, around the, those positions, uh, and uh, that makes one win already. Yeah, jump in back into uh, the top six at the moment. Yes, I'm talking about uh, Hink here at the moment, but also Hint. They are not that far. They're both both these sides are now three points um, of of Hint. Um, yeah, but uh, a tough a tough loss uh, though for Sintrad, of course, because this uh, if they would have won this one, they they might they actually would have leapfrogged Cirque and they would have been closer to to this top six and have some more aspirations now. Of course, in points, it's it's still overseeable. Uh, but yeah, that there's there's one more team they would need to to catch. So I, I don't think they 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 really. I think that that seals it for them for this season for uh, which playoffs they will be in. At least how that will go in the in those playoffs that will be different. That's still a different story. Um, but yeah, that's that's that. And yeah, uh, I already mentioned Denki and Minda both had, had, had great games. Uh, Denki two goals again, uh, and Minda um, two assists and a goal. Yeah, can't ask for more, I guess. No, definitely can't. They'll be very happy uh, in the Circle of Beach camp. And yeah, I think it's still remarkable, isn't it? Like we're talking about our Centurions playoff one or Genesis playoffs done, and it's like we're kind of in February and it's like we'd never expected to be even talking about them going anywhere near that um, and I, I kind of do like what you said there Scott that um, uh, that uh, Schmidt said about um, and Thorsten Fink so Schmidt Thorsten Fink said about um, so just chucking a random German surname at you and hoping that that's the right one <laughs> Thorsten Fink said about Bertagini and kind of or Japanese <laughs> yeah, yeah, good work, good work in St. Jude. Um, just about like letting Bertaccini kind of settle into the system. I actually really like that because it shows to me that he's like, he's not just like, oh, I'll just chuck this guy in and just hope he'll do the, the business and mm. I hope he'll just kind of learn on the fly. It's like, no, no, I have a system, I have a way of playing, and I need him to understand that because otherwise mm. it just won't work and the pieces will kind of fall apart and it just, it's disjointed. Like, he's clearly like a very tactical thinking coach. And I think. But that's probably why they had the downfall this weekend because Circle just would have watched all the tape and it's it just like you said, Scott, it just played in their hands because they are the best pressing team in the league. We know, like the stats don't lie about that. They they regain possession in the final third the most out of every team in the pro league. I think against other teams and children play that are, that want the ball as well, their their style of play is really really works because some of these teams need the ball. But Circle are one of those teams. They're very happy for you to play it around the back because they're like, well, Kevin's going to start the press and then we're just going to follow him. And then you're going to go long, and then Darlin's going to mop up, and it's just, like, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just one of those. I guess you can kind of compare it to um, as a kid when you're kind of like you used to play the older like Pokemon games, and you go to um, 
the gyms, one of those like gyms, and it's like, oh, it's a, it's a water Pokemon gym. So you're like, I'll just bring my electric Pokemon. It's just going to win me every single fight in this gym. That's kind of circle music against Centurion. Like, they're the electric Pokemon. Centurion, the water one. And they're like, yeah, we'll just batter them because we our style is just, they're not going to be able to counter with it. Um, so yeah, that's probably not an analogy that they use. I can't imagine Milne ever using that or any of the boys at Circle using that. But if they want to use it, like, feel free. I think it's quite a good one. Um, that rounds up the Pro League. Uh, we've already mentioned that Union and Club Breeze are playing each other in the Cup semi-finals. Other semi-final, East End against Antwerp. Um, East End being the semi-final, kind of like, yeah, I guess kind of like Mechelen in the top six, isn't it? You're like, how, what, why? Like, really? This season, of all seasons? But they are there. Um, which kind of leads us nicely onto the Challenger Pro League. Scott, give us a lowdown of what has been happening there because it's been, once again, another exciting weekend. Yeah, it's genuinely getting more and more exciting by the week there and tighter as well. There's now only seven points separating the top seven sides, which is unbelievable. So it's, it's kind of anybody's and that's the way that those sides will be looking at it. Um, if you don't know what happened this weekend, uh, Club Next lost 1-0 to Denza. SL16 lost 1-0 to Anderlecht Futures. Layers continued to struggle. They lost 2-1 to another side struggling. Uh, Oostend uh, winning 2-1. Um, at the Lisp. Uh, Lommel and Dender finished two each. Zotavaragam and Beveren uh, ended 1-0 to Beveren in, in a game that had some interesting drama leading up to it, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, Sarang are now bottom. Um, they lost 3-1 at home to, to Yong Genk. Um, and by Lee not managing to, to have much joy in his, his, his opening few games at Sarang. Patro Eisden uh, beat Frank Baran 3-1 and RFC Liège minus Mr Adriano Bertaccini lost 4-1 at home to Dirk Coit's Beershot. Beershot are, are back top now, um, courtesy of that win. They're a point ahead of Denza, who were for a little while this weekend top themselves before Beershot played. They're on pretty good run of form at the moment, Denza, right in the mix. Um, Beveren have got themselves back into the playoff spots now, courtesy of that 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 win at the Gaverbeek against uh, Zalta. Um, which had a rather bizarre, you know, the drama leading into this weekend, guys, it looked as if Beveren were not going to be allowed any away fans um, in, in Varigam because of the ongoing farmer strike action um, and there being a, a supposed lack of, of, of police uh, man force um, available for the game. But, you know, sanity prevailed in the end and people got together and um, Beveren fans did get to the game, which they'll have been glad of because they played very well and got the points in the end. So, you know, it's one of those ones where, you know, if you're making that journey, you want to make it worth your while. And they certainly, certainly did. Uh, Kole Apu with a, a bullet of a header to to win that game. Um, Beveren kind of right back in it. And they've got quite a favourable run of fixtures coming up as, over the next three or four weeks as well, where on paper anyway, there's definitely some more points for them um, there. But as I was saying, yeah, seven points between the top seven sides. It's getting Wild Lairs, by the way, who me and Yoris were touching on last week. Lairs still are yet to appoint a new T1. We're getting on to close to a month now. Um, it's quite a while, so you know everyone's wondering what's going on there. Um, you know, we thought we would have some news by now, but we don't yet. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, Sarang, as I was saying, have slopped, slipped to bottom. Um, and are very much now on course for for back-to-back relegations, uh, not something anybody uh, wants to do. And the other side, who've been in a lot of trouble, of course, who stand, um, are now out of the drop zone um, and, you know, giving themselves a a, a real fighting chance um, at the moment. 
it's just wild, isn't it, that they're out of the job. So when you think how many points they've lost as well, kind of from points deductions, uh, Mr. Ewan Henderson on loan from Scots country, uh, mm. he's doing a very, very good job for them there. And it's, I was just looking at Sarang and it's so, it's so kind of, maybe not funny, but they had like, they obviously got back-to-back promotions into the Pro League. And now they're just going straight back down to the <laughs> straight back down again to the third tier. It was like, yeah, we had some fun. Now we're going back to kind of probably where they belong, maybe. I don't know if we can say that. Um, mm-hmm. But it feels very much like the kind of the way the club is running itself feels very much like there'd be a place in the third division compared to the second. And I think as well, I was kind of like looking with our kind of eyes towards the end. And maybe it's a little bit of bias, but you look at the teams in the playoff now. I think if you're a pro league side, that isn't actually quite, it's not a very nice looking playoffs. Um, You probably don't want to face Zortavar again because they've got some players there that could do the business. If Beveren start to get a run together and miss out on the top, but go into that with some momentum, they've too got some very, very good players as well. Mm. Lommel, we know have talent. Like they've, they've got the city group links. They've got some talented players. Patro, they've spent and they've brought in some players with pro league experience. They've got a very good team. Like, those t- you'd kind of rather face a Denza, wouldn't you? If you're one of those, or maybe even a Beer Scott. Yeah. I know they've been playing well, but you're kind of like, oh, well, again, young team that's had a bit of turbulence this season. Like, I, yeah, I don't like the look of that playoff situation. No. If I'm if I'm in the Pro League, I also don't like it from any of those teams in the playoffs because that is that is a brutal four teams to mm. slog it out for that spot, isn't it? Because all, I, well, I guess. Obviously, Beveren and Zoltavagem, they were eyeing top two. Like they, they were definitely eyeing top two this season. We know Beveren were eyeing top two. Anton's told us they were eyeing top two. Fans have told us they expected mm. to be top two. Like We know that. And Zoltavagem obviously have spent enough to be a top two side as well. So for those two teams to then be in the playoffs against potentially against each other, that is it's pretty brutal, isn't it? And I think there'll be a big kind of whichever one of those misses out that could have massive consequences for them. And then to get Beer Scott and Denza promoted, like it, uh, Beer Scott are the one that's kind of interesting for me if they get promoted because obviously they're up for sale. So, but there's no guarantee that they're going to be sold because we've got teams in the Pro League that are up for sale, like Courts Light, that no one's bought. So it's like, well, why would they buy Beer Scott as well? Like, you just don't know. So, that it could be another kind of Sarang moment where we've got this team up there that isn't actually in a position where it wants to be and it actually has the kind of capacity to do what it needs to do, but it's just there. Whereas Denzi, at least they have got some kind of financial backing and they've got some ambition behind them, but not as much as you look at the Zolta and the Beveren. Like you see those two sides in the Lommel as well. You think, yeah, if they got into the top, they've kind of got the capability to bring players in that you think should give them the chance of competing. So I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that we don't want Via Scott or Denzi. Like absolutely, like we'd love to see those two sides get up, but that playoff one is just that playoff and yeah, the challenger. I don't know what you guys think, but I just think it looks brutal, really brutal. I wouldn't want to be any of those teams getting involved in that. Dan's actually still has some facility issues, I think, even as well, if they <laughs> would get promoted. Yeah. So I, I would not say that out of the two sides that are now in the top two, that they are the ones that, that are... <laughs> They've the, got yeah, Sullivan out, the but they don't need facilities. Or other issues, I don't know, I remember exactly, but there's still definitely something hanging there uh, uh, as well. Yeah, with Beerschot, well, they're, they're historically, of course, the bigger club as well. So at, at least they have that going in comparison to the Serra, um situation. Of course, well, Serra maybe also in the past, but it's been too long, unfortunately. Um, but um, yeah, just, just want to point that out. Uh, but okay, on the other hand, 
we're only two thirds of the season gone there, so well, only of course, but um, yeah, nonetheless, um, it's it's between quotation marks, but it's not that it's gonna be uh, it's set in stone that they they will be there. It still might actually be Zotwagen Beaver as well, very much possible. Although both of them does seem unlikely, but it's definitely not impossible. But um, yeah, just wanted to point out once again, like yes. This is the Genk side I actually enjoy watching lately as well. So <laughs> <laughs> they added to their good form and uh, well, they seem to have played themselves still not completely certain, of course, uh, as I said, still 10 games to go, but into safety and maybe uh, even to look ahead a little bit. Um, yeah, um, for uh, in, in four games in uh, 2024 without losing any of them. <laughs> they, they, they basically mirror uh, the... Well, not mirror, but the the yeah, they are the polar opposite of the of the senior squad at the moment uh, in points <laughs> hall. Swap them round. I have to say though, like uh, people that listen to this will know kind of my opinions on these sort of things, but I am quite happy that none of the uh, second teams are actually in the playoff picture or in the playoffs. That makes me very happy. Um, they, they, they would not be anyway, but yeah. Um, well, but they're, they're, just, they're just kind of messing with the uh, like how you view the table. It's just, it just winds <laughs> me out. It's like just get move, like please. You yeah. can't be there. You're not allowed to. I, be there. Don't even go there. The one thing I want to mention is all again, Nong Young Hing. That's the only thing I can. If yeah, they, they're really one of the most uh, scoring sides of the of the of the league as well. That's that's the that that's one of the reasons why it's always exciting. And unfortunately, they also until recently like they seem to have done some tweaks there, but uh, leaked some goals as well. So they still have a negative goal difference at the moment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely uh, yeah. Well, uh, definitely some some high good talent coming through, and hopefully we'll have to see we'll see some more of it uh, in the senior squad later on as well. Yeah, thirty four goals scored, thirty five conceded is quite <laughs> quite remarkable, isn't it? Um, very very fun. Scott, any more thoughts from you on the challenge, or were you? Uh... I was just, you know, Ben was talking there about, you know, the, the the kind of academy sides, and it just reminded me that I think we've seen a pattern um, of of the non academy sides on the whole at times really have struggled against some of the academy sides, you know, uh, almost as if they, they they haven't been taking those games as seriously as they should. And remember, there was an interview a few weeks ago um, at the turn of the year where Rude Vormer was talking about that, and he said that it's really really difficult to get yourself up. Um, as a player and, and motivate yourself uh, for those games because you know you're going to very small grounds uh, with virtually nobody there often, um, you know, and expected to go out and perform at the level that you, you would hope you do. And a lot of sides now have come a cropper and dropped a lot of points against some of these sides when they probably shouldn't have. So there is there's a, an interesting kind of psychological thing in, in, in playing these sides um, that, that's a nice little companion piece to, to the argument about whether they should be there at all or not. And and one more thing maybe as well uh, on on this topic as well on, on specifically Standard uh, Liège sixteen, um, yeah, they Standard the CEO uh, last night I guess or like uh, in one of the talk shows uh, said like well they be- basically said they don't have money for them anymore. And I don't think they actually, well, some of them might not have been paid as well and stuff. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise that they lost seven games in a row now as well, yeah. just based on that. 
So yeah, the, the, well, there were some more things on on the senior side as well. I think. Uh, that, that yeah, they were they were two weeks late. I think they were two weeks late with their pay. So mo- motivation is uh, is is um, a little bit lacking, perhaps down Liège way at the moment. I think. But did, yep. I, I feel like their January window, most of their signings were for the bloody SL16. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, they signed a new player. Oh, he's going to the SL16. Oh, they signed a new. It's like what? <laughs> but we've signed him, but we're not going to pay him. Basically, quite a few of those know. players were players coming back as well. Players they'd already sent out on loan elsewhere that were coming back to SL16. It's just oh, the ins and outs of standard the A's is something that we could probably speak about for three hours and still not have an idea <laughs> how that club actually operates itself at the moment and. To be fair, I don't think standard fans have a clue either, and that's their kind of issue with it. But I think we've probably spoken for long enough. Um, that's the problem when like one of us goes away, we come back, and we've just got too many things to say between the three of us that we just go on and on and on. But as poser guys, it's been a pleasure being back with you and talking all things Belgian footy. It has. Um, it's been great to kind of chew all the cud of everything going on this week. Have a lovely week, everybody, whatever's happening. Uh, enjoy the games this weekend, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Yep, nothing to add there. Uh, always a pleasure, and um, yeah, have a good uh, have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. So, as per usual, if you like what we do, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. If you like it even more, please do feel free to check out our Buy Me a Coffee site as well, where you can give us a little bit of money, uh, which is greatly appreciated. But yeah. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode and we'll speak to you soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.